Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Thanks for tuning in to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'm your host, Carolyn Scott Hamilton, the Healthy Voyager. Uh, today's show is all about college. Uh, I've been out of school for, yikes, uh, about 15 or more years now. Um, but uh, I do remember it well, the uh, the freshman 15. And for me, it was more than that. So today's show is all about how to stay healthy during your first few years as an adult. Once you've left home, it's it's a whole different ball game. It's so easy to gain weight while away at school in addition to wearing down your immune system due to poor diet, lack of sleep, and stress. And yeah, the stress in college is very different than anything people have experienced uh, just being uh, at school at home. And now that school is in full swing, playtime is over and the heat is on. Before you know it, the finals will be upon you and you'll be going home for the holidays and it's back to crazy schedules in January. So how do you strike a balance that works in all situations? Lucky for you, my guest today has answers to all of these questions as she just went through it. And in addition, she just wrote a book about it. You know, being in a new environment is a huge contributing factor for weight gain. Students are away from home for the first time and experiencing the free will to kind of choose what they want to eat and when. This is a major transition from high school cafeteria food and mom's cooking. The snack foods that were in cupboards at home are not necessarily the ones that college students are choosing to buy when they're away from home. Students frequent the drive through restaurants, they buy snacks from vending machines, or order pizza late at night more than they would at home. And as much as everyone claims that they dislike calf food, cafeteria food, students enjoy it more than they think. The buffet-style all-you-can-eat dining options are surely a temptation for overeating. Uh, not only do we have the free will of eating as much as we want, we have the opportunity to choose healthy or unhealthy options in the cafeteria. And while it's possible to eat healthy or follow a diet while eating meals in the cafeteria, it just happens to be more likely that students will opt for the pizza or the burgers and top it off with something from the dessert bar or the soft serve ice cream machine. And it's no wonder that the all-you-can-eat dining facilities are accounting for 20% of the weight gain in college students. I know that really sent me over the edge when I was in school, uh, just the availability of all this food and variety and even knowing you know that I should have eaten healthier I was just so excited that it was there and you know you put it off for the next day and that can just really account for some extra poundage that's for sure and the schedule for some students can even cause uh, for missed meals which contributes to increased snacking on unhealthy foods sleep schedules also change with college kids in that students are prone to stay up later uh, increasing the amount of food eaten later in the evening and snacking. Staying up later usually results in sleeping later, causing students to miss breakfast. You know, you have that extra 30 minutes where you could go have breakfast or you want to sleep in before class, right? So missing a meal is not uh, not only increases hunger, but the probability of binging later in the day. So if you're like trying to get the most amount of sleep as possible in the morning because you went to bed late or you were cramming and you don't eat breakfast and you take off and go to class, you're definitely about to hit a wall, and then you just end up eating garbage afterwards. So it's tough. And the new environment and schedule is not without added level of stress. As many of you know, college has proven to be very stressful with deadlines and due dates, um, and a lot of this kids aren't used to, uh, depending on the schools that they went to. It's very different. And students are experiencing stress with being away from home, making new friends, on top of making the grades. 
and going to all the extracurricular activities and social life and all that. And oftentimes, eating and drinking are ways that students cope with the stress. One can of beer contains approximately 139 calories and 11 grams of carbs. It's not that beer is directly causing the weight gain, but when it's not consumed in moderation, it really can. And typically, college students don't drink in moderation. And this being a major caloric intake late at night does add on some of the pounds. Hard liquors such as gin, rum, and vodka depend on the proof uh, as to how many calories. However, the calories are usually high due to the added calories of mixers, juice, sodas, jello, all this nutty stuff that kids drink in school. But luckily, there are many easy ways to keep from falling to the pit of crappy college life eating and drinking, helping to avoid the dreaded and all-too-common freshman 15 and a lot more in some cases, in most cases these days. Uh, making your health and proper nutrition should be a priority and will become the foundation for a lifetime of wellness, both mental and physical, if you start uh, on the right foot at school. So it's very, very important to not allow yourself to go too crazy um, and it's tough because those are going to be the stepping stones for being healthy the rest of your life um, or having to combat that later. You know, losing weight is much harder than gaining it. Um, and in school, it's so easy to gain it because you're sedentary a lot of the time if you're not partaking in sports or athletic or going to the gym because you don't have time. It's super easy to, to notice uh, very quickly that you've put on some pounds. And that's not healthy. But the girl who's got all these tips and easy ways to keep fit is coming up next. So stay tuned for the author of The Dorm Room Diet, Daphne Oz. Smells good. Well, look who came out of his man cave. Just checking on you and dinner. Well, your stomach clock is fast. Gonna be a while. Well, why don't you... Why don't you... You okay? Oh, honey! Two out of three people with diabetes die of a heart attack or stroke. But you can lower the risk. Ask your healthcare provider how. For more info, go to diabetesactnow.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My guest today has written a fabulous book for all the kids out there who are in school and struggling with that freshman 15 and even more. Fresh out of school herself and with all the wisdom and knowledge to share with us today is Miss Daphne Oz. Hello, Daphne. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for making it on. So tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and kind of what prompted you to write The Dorm Room Diet in the first place. Sure. Um, I, I grew up very overweight, and I think uh, people are always a little surprised to hear that because I grew up in a family of doctors. My mother was a vegetarian cook. My grandmother had all this knowledge about um, homeopathic remedies and natural natural healing. So, you know, with all this information around, how could I still have struggled with my weight? And I'm living proof that it's not always about information. It's oftentimes about the sort of emotional connection that we have or don't have with food that keeps us from getting healthy um, and getting our health on track. And what I realized was that when I got accepted to college and was about to go away and leave home for the first time, that this really marked the beginning of my adult life. I wanted it to be a time in my life where I was really happy and felt like I was living my optimum life and my being my optimum self. And a lot of that had to do with losing weight so that I could function um, as well as I could. You know, that, that sort of is an, um, the athlete's way of thinking about it. You know, I, I played a lot of sports in high school and I was 
picked for varsity teams and then benched the whole season because I just couldn't keep up. I, I was too overweight to really play as well as I could have on the field. And that metaphor just really stuck with me throughout the, you know, as I was looking at what other things might I have been missing out on in life? What other things might I have been responsible for holding myself back from accomplishing because I wasn't as healthy as I could be? So getting to school really marked the beginning of my adult life and it marked the beginning of a change in the way that I viewed food and the, like I said, the emotional association I had with it. I stopped thinking about food as an emotional crutch, as something I could turn to, um, to, to you know, sort of lubricate social, social situations or as a way to bond with my family or what have you, and instead put it back in its place and took a lot of, as, as a fuel and took a lot of the power away from it by making it, it, was, it wasn't something taboo, it wasn't something that I had to avoid or anything like that. And I put myself back in the driver's seat and that made all the difference. That's excellent. Now, was your freshman year really tough as far as your transition from high school, leaving your parents' house, and when did you really make that decision, like, you know what, I'm going to stop what I've been doing? Did it take a little while from your freshman year to kind of figure um, that out on your own? No, I actually lost 10 pounds before I got to school and because it was – it was sort of – I had this epiphany moment um, right towards the beginning of my – the end of my soft, uh, I'm sorry – at the beginning of my second semester senior year in high school. And I realized that, you know, if I didn't start sort of trying to live the principles I was talking about then, that it would be even more difficult to try to do them when I was thrown into this new mix of trying to deal with the social and the academic pressures and the and the change in environment and scenery that going away to college represents. So I started, you know, just being conscious of the food that I ate. Why was I eating it? Was I eating it for fuel or because it was a way to, you know, sort of quell, upset or celebrate? And people celebrate with food all the time. And, and that's that's not working in your favor. So really just becoming aware of those times and, and just eating consciously. Again, I'd been on every fad diet in the book. This was not about going on some diet to lose weight before I went to school. This was about adopting a healthy lifestyle that I could that could last me a lifetime that would allow me to get the most out of my college experience by not only getting me to, you know, have it all and go to all the go to all the student meetings and the parties and the everything that people do on at, you know at campus but also allowing me to make sure that I wasn't going to pack on the freshman 15 because I was going to be looking at this as my first step towards freedom and responsibility for my own health. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you're so open and honest about it because so many people it's such kind of taboo like oh, you know, I don't want to talk about that I was overweight once or and that's what prompted me to change. And I was actually in the same position uh, when I was in college. So, oh, yeah? yeah, yeah, my freshman year, I definitely, I gained on uh, uh, well over the freshman <laughs> 15. <laughs> that's not you that know, uncommon. Gained, yeah, yeah it's, it's not. It's really hard. You know, you leave the nest, so to speak. And even though you think that you know all these great tips on nutrition or you thought you were eating well, it kind of goes downhill once you're in school because of the temptation and the accessibility to all this kind of not necessarily free food, but when you're on a meal plan, it kind of feels like it's free. You know, you just swipe your card and then you gorge, you know. Totally. I'm so, I'm so glad both of those points are actually really important. The, the first one that you talked about was the, the family portrait. I mean, it's, some people go to college having had you know, a great health background and, and maybe being responsible for cooking meals for their family and really taking a lot of um, – uh, responsibility for making sure that their meals were healthy. Some people come to school and have never eaten a you know a house um, a meal at their house. You know, fast foods as good as a home cooked meal for them. So you come mm-hmm. in with all these different benefits and and detriments, and and you sort of have to adjust, um, you know, based on what you're coming in with. But additionally. The, there are some danger zones specific to the college environment, and the cafeteria is most 
certainly one of them because it is. It's a free-for-all. It's a buffet style. You might even, I mean, I know I would sit there for hours and have essentially like eight different meals with eight different sets of friends as they pass through. And if you're not being conscious of, you know, well, wait, I've already eaten my dinner tonight. Maybe I'll just, if I, if I feel the need to keep snacking to sort of be a part of this whole scene, either I should leave or I should be snacking on something very healthy, you know, maybe some carrot and celery sticks, maybe some apple, maybe some soy crisps, nothing, you know, not having a full second or third meal. Yeah, yeah, you don't get the the buffet at home and no. and being at school is just nutty. So, what what was your process in writing the book? Was it based on the experiences as well as trial and error? Kind of did you figure stuff out as you went along? For sure. Uh, there there was so much that changed over the course of my writing of the book. Uh, at first, it started out as an idea to write um, a teenage health guide, one for you know students still living at home and in college, I mean, in high school. And it was only when I um, had started losing the weight before college and then got to school and realized, wow, this is such a unique environment. I can't believe there's been no book that's really tried to temper and tailor the information specifically for this age group and specifically for these people who are for the first time in their lives really trying to establish healthy habits on their own. How can there be no guide, let alone a guide who actually really understands what's going on in this particular environment. So the book mm-hmm. itself metamor- was you know, a metamorphosis because it, it became this dorm room diet sort of out of need, out of the fact that I, I was around peers who wanted this knowledge and who didn't really have access to a stable guide for it. And what I always say is that the reason this book is valuable and the reason it's been a bestseller for four years now is because it's not anything, you know, any shocking new information. I'm not, there's no secret diet suggestion. There's no, you know, magic pill that's going to take the pounds away or put them on depending on what you're trying to do to get to your optimum weight. The idea is that it puts it in language that's really friendly. I, you know, it's just like I, I wrote for magazines for a long time, so it's really a colloquial style that's supposed to be like a friend chatting with you because these were these were tips and tricks my friends and I developed together that we worked on together. And, and what I found was that, Sometimes it can be really scary having this advice coming to you from someone you feel either A, has never been where you've been, or B, is sort of, you know, maybe a com- of a completely different mindset than you are when it comes to getting your health back on track. So having it come from a friend made the information itself stick. It gave it that emotional resonance that I was talking about earlier to, you know, take the information to the next level. Yeah, and it's true. A lot of these books are kind of from a clinical background and yes. a psychologist saying, oh, well, this is what happens, and not from the perspective of someone who's been there and is going through it. And I think that makes all the difference. Exactly. So can you break down how the book works and why you think it works so well for students? For sure. So first of all, I should start by clarifying that we chose the title The Dorm Room Diet because we liked the alliteration and because we wanted to start to mm-hmm. sort of break the stereotype of, of the word diet. It's you know, Diet, in our minds, is this horrible thing to be dreaded. It's it's a going away from normalcy. You know, you go on a diet. But really diet is is just what you eat every day. And and I want to stress that nothing in this book is about deprivation. Nothing's off limits. You're in complete control the whole time and you can make allowances for if it's a special occasion and you want to, you know, partake in the fun um, the fun experience, there is no reason you should deprive yourself just so you can say, oh, well, I didn't have any of the cake or whatever it is at a friend's right. birthday party. But that's, but in the in the long run, that doesn't work because if you're feeling deprived or like you're doing something that is not sustainable long term, it, it won't be a lifestyle change. It'll just be another fad diet. And what I'm really looking to get students and 
even students after they graduate, young adults, people living in their first apartment, people who are still trying to sort of get their health on track, to realize is that this cannot be a quick fix program. This is not going to be a quick weight loss program either. I lost 30 pounds over the course of three years. And I have never put it back on again, and I've never been on a diet since I started the quote-unquote dorm room diet. And, and that's, I think, you know, a testament in itself that you never feel like you're on a diet, you're going to lose the weight, but it's not going to be something where it's so drastic that it forces you to do something that you wouldn't normally be doing, and that's how it's successful. Um, but what it really does, first and foremost, is it breaks down the very basic nutritional information that anyone should have on hand, how many servings of protein and fiber and vegetables and fruits and complex carbohydrates and and good fats should a person be having every day. And it teaches you sort of the basics of um, your basal metabolic rate, how to figure out how many calories you actually burn. Just sitting, If you were just to sit in your desk chair all day long and not do anything, how many calories does your body need just to perform basic life functions? And then it teaches you a bit about how to adjust that based on whether you exercise or not. And then it goes through the five danger zones of college that I talked about, um, uh, um, studying and, and cafeteria eating and and late night partying and tailgating and talking with friends, all of these things that are sort of specific to a college campus and not only why they're difficult to navigate sometimes when you're trying to eat healthily, but also how can you, as the educated dorm room diet reader, get around them and, and really still participate in the experience but not get, fall trap and fall prey to the ways in which they sometimes force you to eat less than ideally. And the book goes through not only how to sort of get around those danger zones, but also and and how to be, sort of have the basic information you need on hand, but also how to find time to exercise on campus, how to find time to supplement with vitamins and minerals and nutrients um, on campus, which is something that I really took to heart and I felt very passionately about because it's not, you know, it's not common practice yet that people take their vitamins every day, and especially when you're a student struggling to get all your nutrients properly from food on a college campus where you don't have that much control over the food that you have coming in, um, it can be really important for you to also be getting some additional support from your vitamins. And uh, that was something that I always sort of had the inside scoop on just because of my family. And I'd actually started out sort of writing up these, you know, basic vitamin um, regimens for my friends, of course, to be, you know, checked by their doctors, make sure nothing went wrong. But but it was just, it was a neat bit of information that I thought my student, my uh, peers could share in. And then the new edition, actually, that came out this year um, is different from the edition that we launched in 2006 with its last two chapters. The ninth chapter now is um, a recipe chapter, and it's a little over 30 chapters of 30 recipes that students living on campus can make for themselves. They're all vegetarian. They're all really healthy. And they're, the idea being, take some of the fear factor out of the kitchen, give you some resources so that you can actually put these principles of healthy eating into play. And then and the final 10th chapter is on sustainable living. And this is something that I've really been dedicating myself to over the last two years since I graduated, which is learning about our food system in, in America, learning about how our food is created, how it's shipped and produced and packaged and sent to us, how subsidies and um, you know the way that we've created this system have enforced perhaps us not eating as well as we could because oftentimes healthy food is a lot more expensive than unhealthy food. And so if you're living on a budget like many students are, it can be really tough to try to stick to a healthy eating program. So the, the 10th chapter in this new dorm room diet edition is really about teaching students to, that they have the power to vote three times a day with their wallets for the kinds of meals that they want to have on campus. And that via that process of voting for the right kinds of foods, they actually have the potential to change the way that American food is produced in general. Colleges last year, or 2008, sorry, spent $4 billion, with a B, 
dollars providing food for their students and staff. And with that kind of purchasing power, they have a responsibility, and the educational pursuit that they embody, they have this real responsibility to make sure that they're enforcing a, a, a really healthy policy on food and also one that, frankly, helps fuel students' brains, helps them perform academically. Yeah, and, you know, you brought up a good, a good point that you're learning skills and and information that's going to help you lifelong, not just through school. And that's something that is completely forgotten when it comes to, oh, going to college. It's hitting the books, and the other aspect is partying. You know, it's social life, and it's school, and that's it. And people tend to forget that you're becoming your own person in school, and you're teaching yourself how you can live on your own. And part of living on your own is being healthy. And I think your book does such a great job of, being, yeah, you're right, the the friendly voice of this is how you're going to get your life together and and set the foundation for the rest of your life, being healthy, because people tend to forget that, that this is something that you're also learning too, like your own personal journey at school, oh. and, and your book really helps. I, I know for a lot of kids, I mean, I've left school 15 or more or so years ago, but but it was a lot of my friends were overweight, like especially by our, the end of our freshman year. Geez, we look at the photos and we laugh, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's just horrible. But what we learned by our sophomore year was like, we got to cut this crap out, and um, and we all we had to learn on our own. But your book does such a great job of being that handbook for folks who don't necessarily have the discipline or know where to look. Right, and it's just supposed to put that really information job. all in one consolidated space so that it's easy to find. It's like your little, you know, go-to guide if you just want to leave it on your bookshelf and go reference it every now and then because sometimes, I mean, it's, it's easy to forget it. It's easy to fall off the bandwagon. And the whole point is don't beat yourself up. Don't have this little, like, pity party guilt trip. Or even worse, don't say, well, I already had that one cookie, so I probably should just eat the rest mm-hmm. of the box because I'm never going to eat a cookie again. I mean, that's just, it's the craziest mindset I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and I fell prey to it many times when I was still on that track. And I think that the the what I really hope people, and, and college students in particular, who are looking to, like you said, make lifelong healthy habits that are going to last them you know, into adulthood, I, what I hope they'll do is see that it's all a journey and you're going to get there one way or the other and hopefully you'll make the right choices and you'll get there healthy and safely, safely as well. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not all or nothing. And I think a lot of people do end up in that position where like, oh, man, I totally screwed up my diet. Forget it. I'm, I'm going to not do this diet anymore. Or I'm not exactly. going to work out. You know, so it's, it's not an all or nothing. It's, it's, it's a learning curve for sure. So how much of your dad's advice did you take when formulating your wellness plan, or did you really just stick to, I'm my own person now, and I'm going to work with my friends on this book? You know, it's interesting, actually, because I, I just sitting around the dinner table when I was in high school and living at home, it was so easy to pick up information by osmosis. I mean, you're sitting you're sitting there enjoying your meal, and, and there, all the talk is about you know, minimally invasive cardiac surgeries and the newest research on vitamin D, and you know, you're, just, you're just sort of absorbing mm-hmm. it as you're sitting there. And so the, that, and my mom was a huge influence in this as well. They were both absolutely um, crucial in me forming what I now count as my nutritional basis of information, and, and they're, they're wonderful resources, both of them are. Um, but what was really important about writing this book for me, and, and the reason I do count it as sort of a coming into my own and and really doing it on my own is because I took all that information that that really hadn't worked for me up until a point because I I clearly was 30 to 40 pounds overweight and and hadn't been putting it into practice 
and made it work for me. I made it my own. I made adjustments. I made allowances. You know, I'm a chocolate fiend. So while my dad might not say chocolate-covered strawberries are the healthiest thing on the face of the planet, for me, they were a great way to get that um, get that chocolate taste, have that satisfaction, but do it with much less chocolate than it would normally take if I were just eating a chocolate bar, and also adding in some of the the benefits of eating a strawberry or a couple strawberries or some fr- from fresh fruit that I might have covered or whatever it was. And I think that that was what was really important for for me to acknowledge and and to credit myself with was just and and which is you know like we talked about before which is why I think the book works was it was really based on my appearance uh, my appearance and my experience my my dad has never been overweight so he doesn't really understand what it's like to try to struggle with that with that balance of wanting to get healthy but not wanting to do it through a fad diet and for me and for my peers who really have um have you know this book has spoken to them I think that's what they really click with yeah, yeah. And do you feel that the book speaks more to guys or to girls? I think it speaks more to girls because I think I'm a girl. My voice is a girl. Like I said, I really try to speak the way that I – I really try to write the way that I speak. Um, we With the first book, we tried to make it more unisex, and, and it, the information is absolutely still unisex. Um, and, and boys struggle as much as girls do with the homesickness and the, and the academic and social pressures and everything being in a, loot, in a change. And, you know, for sure, the frat boy pressure to eat like a pie of pizza every night and drink a keg. I mean, those are things that lots of boys struggle with. But I think that, like I said, the vehicle is so important. And I think if it were written by, you know, any, any boys out there who want to write this book, just get in touch. I'll help you. But I do think it matters that they feel like you really get what they're going through. I don't know what it's like to be a, uh, to be a college boy, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think their pressures are different than than that of girls in college Certainly. for many reasons. You know, like oh, I got to live up to my dad's standards and I got to, you know, that kind of stuff. The stuff that we don't right. necessarily get, you know, it's yeah, it's definitely different, but uh but yeah, I I think it it does read as a unisex book, but I can see how a college guy would be like, I'm not going to cook that in my dorm room. I'm right. a dude, you know. Well, it, so. it doesn't help that the cover is like bright pink. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know, we liked it. Um, yeah. It's a great tool regardless for anybody, I think, for sure. But now, see, this is something that I didn't have to deal with in college. But in your opinion, do you think that social networking is beneficial or detrimental health-wise to students because they're so connected to sitting at the computer or sitting down and texting? Um, does it add stress and more of a sedentary aspect to their daily lives? Do you think it makes it tougher now? I'm so glad you bring this up. It's an, It's a very... Um, it's not frequently talked about, and I think that it's a very interesting element because on the one hand, many experts say that it's not that the food that we're eating is that much different. It's not that we're eating that much more food. It's that our lifestyles have become so much more streamlined and efficient and sedentary as a result, and we don't use the calories that we're eating, which is why we face these huge obesity epidemics now. I would argue that it's a combination of also the food that we're eating having changed from what the way it might have been you know, in the 60s and the 50s, um, but, I, but I do think a lot of it has to do with sedentary activity, and I think the more socializing you can do without ever having to leave your room, I think on the one hand, it's very damaging because it doesn't force you to have those to develop those social skills that only interacting with another human face to face can really develop for you and i also think that certainly it it, it facilitates you know there's for one, on the one hand to always be inundated with these pictures of other people doing other things and like you know do i look as good as that person does and and you know what you know what do people think of me when they see my profile i mean it just creates all kinds of neuroses and and um paranoias i think but but um mm-hmm. it on the 
it can work in a in a beneficial sense. I wrote an article a couple months ago called about a, a new <laughs> a new movement called Tweet What You Eat, which is basically <laughs> an online diet journal where and they do this thing called Crowd Cal, where you'll write in and say, oh, for the for morning for breakfast this morning I had still cut oatmeal with maple syrup and some almonds or you know whatever you write in whatever you think you had and then Crowd Cal will will guesstimate based on the responses of other people involved in tweet what you eat how many calories they think that has and then you input that into your little log book and it, it's this whole crazy system of really finding people to hold you accountable without ever actually having to have people who you know personally be involved in that dieting process which is a very personal process and probably when you don't want to share with people who you don't feel that comfortable with or that safe around mm-hmm. or or you know maybe you're a private person and don't want to share but you'd still want that you know, that's, that's someone who's out there who cares and who's going to hold you accountable to sticking to your weight loss plans. Um, and, I, you know, I mean, it goes both ways. I don't think I don't think social networking is to be blamed for our weight problems collectively, but I think it has some interesting roles to play. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, you bring up a good point that <clears throat> there are some great tools out there that can help, you know, but it's a matter of, I guess, balance. Like, I'm not going to sit here on Facebook all night. I'm going to go to the gym, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can I can't imagine my friends and I always say, Oh my god, if we had cell phones and texting and Facebook in high school, we would have never got anything done. So <laughs> it's gotta be that much harder. It's created these this generation of kids that are like hyper multitaskers. Like my my fifteen year old sister will sit in her room and have two computers open, two textbooks open, her cell phone open, I mean everything going all at once. And it's funny, you know, for her, it's easier just to have a texting conversation with someone or an AIM conversation or online somehow because it doesn't require your full attention. That's why she likes it. She likes not having to devote her entire being to any one person at once, which I find, you know, my generation, my freshman year was the year that, like, Facebook hit, and it was when it was just launched to the IVs, and it was sort of a small thing that was just happening. And so I kind of escaped that wave of, like, everything revolves around whether or not you're online all the time. Um, mm. But I think it's fascinating. I, I don't know how I don't know how it'll affect the way that we do business in the future, but I think it will be. Um, yeah, will maybe there'll be. It. Yeah, maybe there'll be more going on because they can take on so much more. Yeah. <laughs> now, what tips do you have for the new college student as far as maintaining a health plan with, you know, the finals? I know that school just started, but before you know it, I mean, it's already Halloween. Oh, finals there's midterms up right now. Oh, for yeah, sure. Midterms <laughs> and then finals and then. They've got their schedule down, you know, by the time holiday breaks, and then they go home for a month, and then they have a totally different schedule. Like, how hard is that? Right. That transition. Completely. You know, the one thing that I always found was very helpful in that regard was um, planning ahead uh, in a way that that what I was I was going to go first with. Don't deprive yourself. So the first couple of weeks you're back at school. Don't feel like you need to be on your healthiest health plan ever. It is. It does take adjusting. It takes adjusting to figure out, well, what time do I really need to get up to make my 9 a.m. class in order to be able to still have a little bit of breakfast on my way out, which is so important. And even if you're just throwing like a small cup of yogurt and a little pouchette of, of you know a healthy kind of granola in the fridge the night before and grabbing it and running with it, I need you to be having breakfast. But you figuring out what time you should do that is up to you and your schedule and figuring out, you know, when do I break for lunch so I'm not going eight hours without having eaten and starving by the time dinner rolls around so I'm gorging at my dinner meal and then, you know, that's a lot of extra calories you don't need late at night when you're probably going to bed and your body, frankly, doesn't need that that energy to function and will probably end up storing it as fat, which, you know, not, not ideal. Um, and actually, 
if you eat very late at night, it doesn't allow you the, the best kind of rest you can have because your digestion system has to stay awake to sort of process that food even while you're trying to sleep. So not advisable to eat super late at night. But um, I would say take your time, figure out your schedule, make sure that you make time for regular meals every three hours, definitely including breakfast. And, um, and yeah, I mean, eat, especially especially when you're adjusting to a new schedule, make eating well and exercising a priority because you will have time for whatever you make time for, even if it's a half hour at the gym, even if it's a, you know, a half hour running stairs in your dorm if you really can't afford the time it takes to walk to your gymnasium. There are ways to make it fit into anyone's schedule if it becomes a priority. Right, right, absolutely. Like parking your car a little further away when you go run an errand or, you know, anything like that. Using a bathroom on a different floor, you know, walking your errands, doing your own laundry. You never send someone else to get... Something, you know, I, I was guilty of this until I realized that it was a, a major problem in high school. Mm-hmm. I would ask people to go and get me things like, oh, you're going up to get a glass of milk. Can you, like, get, grab me a brownie? Or, like, can you, you know, get me another sandwich or whatever it is. And it's so many extra calories. You would be shocked what a great deterrent being lazy can be for the overeater. If you're not willing to go and get it yourself, you shouldn't be eating it. Yeah, yeah, that is a good tip. <laughs> what were some of your favorite products that helped you through school, whether it's, you know, food or services or exercise things that kind of helped you through sure. those four years? Um, well, in terms of the food, I, I kept a couple of like really essential healthy snacks on hand all the time, especially when I knew I would, I would either have a big paper or a big test coming up because I knew, I know how stressful it can be to go to the U store at 2 in the morning. You've been studying for hours on end. Your willpower is zilch. I mean, who has... Who can go in there and not buy the Snapple and the Snickers and the other things that are really just going to not not only not help you study the best that you can, but also really pack in the calories? Um, so I would always put baby carrots and celery and hard fruits like an apple or a pear, some citrus fruits if I could if I had a chance to run to um, the grocery store like a, a an orange and a grapefruit because the vitamin C really helps you stay awake. And also the peeling process is good. It gives you a real break from the studying process, five minutes to clear your head and we'll wake you up. Um, I kept a little bag of chocolate chips on hand for that chocolate craving we talked about earlier. And I always kept soy crisps around because I'm a major salty snacker and it's a great alternative to potato chips and pretzels and that kind of um, junk. And I, I do think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a rewards person. <laughs> I, I do, you know, if I've been quote unquote good for like a week or two, I would reward myself with something. I might, um, you know, maybe it was getting my nails done with some friends or uh, getting a massage or, you know, doing something that made me feel good, that gave me a chance to relax, maybe giving myself extra time at the gym. Sometimes that was what I really needed. Um, but I do think working towards small achievable goals. You're not saying I want to lose 50 pounds, but saying I want to lose five pounds in the next month. Anyone can do that. And you can probably lose more than that. But you know, then you then you set yourself up for success and you aim higher. Um, I think that that's really sort of a crucial, uh, crucial tool when you're looking to get something rolling, get the ball rolling. Just start with your five principles of healthy eating. This is not a major redux of your um, or reevaluation of your eating plan. Try just drinking half your body weight in ounces of water. So if you weigh 150 pounds, drink 75 ounces every day of water. That You'll be shocked how much that helps you, A, discern between when you're hungry versus when you're thirsty because the chemical channels in your body that tell you when you're hungry versus thirsty oftentimes get confused and you end up overeating by accident. Um, it'll also keep you flushed and really hydrated, keep your hair and nails and skin looking great. Little things like that that don't require a huge change to your lifestyle really can get the ball rolling. Right. Yeah, you're right. Making crazy huge goals that you can't or may not reach 
can be disappointing, and then you don't want to ever do it again. Exactly. You know, and you just stay in that state. So, yeah, the small things are, yeah, it's a good tip, especially when you're, when there's lack of time in school. Yep, for sure. Are you writing up, uh, writing a follow-up book or remaining in the world of health and wellness? Um, and if so, what are you working on? Well, I actually, um, I felt very strongly that once I left college, my my goal was to make this information stay alive by giving it to students on campus who were still there, who could keep it, who could keep it fresh and and change it up. Because I know, I, even I've been out of school for two years, and I'm sure a million things have already changed that I wasn't dealing with when I was at campus. And I want it to be something that really stays. Um, very dynamic and, and keeps evolving as the, as the student's experience does. But because I'm no longer on college campuses, I don't know that I'm the right person to be constantly rewriting it up. I, I will keep re-editing it as long as students think it is valuable information and want the and, and there's a demand out there. And I and I obviously still do my college talks and I and I visit campuses all over the country talking to students who are still on campus about how they can get their health back on track and make this information their own. But I actually got married last month and am working oh, congratulations. on congratulations. Thank you so much. Um I'm now working on a series of books for the newlywed. And I think that what I what I discovered writing the dorm room diet was that what I love to do is to learn and then to share that information with my peer group and people who are going through similar experiences, people who are struggling with similar things. Because I think so often information that comes in, like we said, in the wrong vehicle or in the at the wrong time or in the wrong voice, that makes all the difference. So uh, that's what I've been working on right now. Excellent. Oh, I love the newlywed book. You'll have to uh, tell us about that uh, when it's all, all ready and out there. I will, for sure. Uh, so where can people find out more information about you, your books, your speaking schedules, all that? All of it's set up right at dormroomdiet.com. And, or if you Google my name and everything comes up. And uh, I believe there's an updated list up there of you know where you can buy the book, but also upcoming speaking engagements and media appearances. Um, we, do a lot of, we do a lot of radio shows. We do a lot of television shows. And so hopefully um, your listeners can catch me somewhere out there. <laughs> Social yeah, networking. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, somewhere out there in the ether or in the real world. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. You have such great information and so real, you know, not this weird, like we said before, you know, like, oh, it came from a psychologist who thinks this is how it goes. <laughs> you know, it is so real and so relevant to this time and this generation. So thank you again. Thank you. Everybody, don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Mom, Dad, I'm in eighth grade now. Those years of peer pressure are way behind me. Right now, alcohol is the last thing on my mind. So please, don't have a real conversation with me about drinking. Like you said, I'm too young, right? Real kids are curious about alcohol. 40% try it by the eighth grade. Start a real conversation at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Talk early, talk often. Get others involved. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. All right. That's just about it for Healthy Voyager Radio this week. Make sure you visit dormroomdiet.com for more tips and tricks on how to get through school healthily, as well as info on Daphne and her upcoming appearances, speaking events, and how to get the book. As for Healthy Voyager, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Healthy Voyager. Facebook, there are a couple pages there, fan pages, group pages. YouTube, join and subscribe to the channel because there's new stuff every week. And then obviously HealthyVoyager.com is where the bulk of the info is. Every week there's new content, new videos, new recipes, 
giveaways. Uh, you can join the social networking site and meet other like-minded health folks. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, it's a weekly newsletter that comes in on Mondays, uh, you find out right away all the new stuff that's on the site as well as getting some good promotions and coupons in that newsletter. So check it out, healthyvoyager.com. I'd like to thank Daphne Oz one more time for being on the show today. Be sure to check out the podcast of today's show as well as past shows on healthyvoyager.com as well as on iTunes and Zoom where you can subscribe so you never miss a show. Be sure to join me next week as I welcome two very big names in the vegan movement. The first is a radio talk show and TV host who followed in the footsteps of her father, Miss Carrie Kasem, as well as a plant-based wellness promoter and NBA star, John Sally. It's going to be a great show, so don't miss it. And before we head out, I'm going to play us out with a song by Carrie Underwood. Always the good girl in the world of music, this vegetarian star has won over and dominated the country and the pop charts ever since she was crowned as the American Idol back in 2005. Can't believe it's been that long. Uh, for more information on Carrie's music, her albums, her tours, check out CarrieUnderwoodOfficial.com. CarrieUnderwoodOfficial.com. All right, thanks so much for joining me today. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week and enjoy So Small by Carrie Underwood. Bye. you got if you ain't got love the kind that you just want to give away it's okay to open up go ahead and let the light shine through i know it's hard on a rainy day you want to shut the world out and just be You can